Hey folks, Preet here. Big news today. The D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals has ruled that former President Donald Trump is not absolutely immune from criminal prosecution, writing, quote, former President Trump has become citizen Trump with all of the defenses of any other criminal defendant, end quote. Joyce Vance and I discussed this important case on the Cafe Insider podcast. To hear our full conversation and access all other Cafe Insider content, try the membership for just $1 for one month. You can do that at cafe.com slash insider. That's cafe.com slash insider. We look forward to having you as a part of the insider community. Let's spend a few minutes on the substance, and then we'll talk more about this as warranted next week when we've had a chance to dive in a little more deeply. It may come as a surprise to folks that this question, you know, 200 some odd years into the Republic's existence with, you know, 45 some odd presidents we've had and all sorts of swirling legal issues surrounding many of them over the course of our long history, that the question, and this is in the executive immunity section of the opinion, quote, the question of whether a former president enjoys absolute immunity from federal criminal liability is one of first impression, end quote, meaning it's never come up before at this level in a court. How can that be? Uh, because Trump is sort of, uh, as lawyers say, sui generis, right? He's he's the first one to do this. You're doing a lot of the Latin today. You make me read Supreme Court cases fast, you're going to get Latin. You know, I mean, I think, though, it points out, we, we've all begun to take this so much for granted that this is who Trump is. It's unprecedented in American history. That's why this is an issue of first impression. Yeah, because we've not had a commander-in-chief sitting or former who's engaged in such conduct and who's made such sweeping claims about immunity for such conduct. It's just never come up before. That, that, that all, that's all that means. It doesn't mean that, you know, the claims are worthwhile or not worthwhile necessarily. It just means it's never come up. And you hear that word a lot, that phrase a lot when it comes to Donald Trump. First impression, testing a lot of things. So maybe we can begin with the idea that Trump and his team have put forward of separation of powers. and. I'll, I'll elide some of the, the complicated nature of this and the technicalities of this, but essentially, Trump seems to be arguing in a way, look, the presidency is a separate co-equal branch of government. It can't be subject to supervision by another branch of government, namely the judiciary. Why doesn't that fly? Am I stating that right? It's not quite right. I think, though, it is right. Essentially, Trump is saying that the courts just lack the power to review the president's official acts because it would violate separation of power to ever look over a president's shoulder. And so really what the panel says is, you know, this goes back to some of the earliest cases, the earliest case, right, Marbury versus Madison. And they say Trump misreads that case. He misreads everything that comes after it, properly understood the separation of powers doctrine may immunize lawful discretionary acts, but does not bar the federal criminal prosecution of a former president for every official act. And so they're saying it's possible that you can do stuff that's official, but still criminal, and you're not immune from prosecution if you do that. Yeah. And they, in talking about Marbury, they talk about other Supreme Court cases where the principle of being equal before the law is very, very important. They cite a case called United States v. Lee from 1882, which is worth quoting here. And they quoted at some length 
in their opinion, quote, no man in this country is so high that he is above the law. No officer of the law may set that law at defiance with impunity. All the officers of the government, from the highest to the lowest, are creatures of the law and are bound to obey it. It is the only supreme power in our system of government, and every man who, by accepting office, participates in its functions, is only the more strongly bound to submit to that supremacy and to observe the limitations which it imposes upon the exercise of the authority which it gives, end quote. That's pretty good stuff. Yeah, I think so. And, you know, it carries through all the way. I mean, they they bring it all the way up to current times with Cy Vance, the, the former Manhattan DA's efforts to subpoena Trump and to get his tax records, saying that this has been a consistent thread. But I agree with you. Lee is the important case here. There's case after case after case in which the courts have passed judgment on and in some ways regulated or supervised the exercise of authority by even presidents of the United States, including Youngstown Sheet, which is a famous case that we all learned about in law school, where you had a president who seized the steel mills. And there's a rendering of, of how much power a president has and in what circumstances and how much deference needs to be given. But it has never been the case in our constitutional democracy that it's 100% deference, right? For all the reasons we've discussed, because you can imagine the abuse of power in the hands of a president who had assumed the role of a king, precisely what the founders hoped to prevent with the Constitution and separation of powers. And this decision makes the point that Trump was trying to turn that on its head. Yeah, and look, you have a system of government with three branches of government, co-equal but separate. And this court points out that their conclusion about the lack of absolute immunity on the part of a sitting president or a former president is, quote, reinforced by the analogous immunity doctrines for legislators and judges, end quote. And so to pick the one example, the first example with respect to legislators, there's another thing in the Constitution we've talked about on the show before called the speech or debate clause. That's explicit constitutional immunity from criminal prosecution arising from that clause. So if you're a senator or member of the House of Representatives, you can't be criminally prosecuted for things you do that are within the bounds of your official duty, speech on the floor, casting your vote, right? But that doesn't mean that you have absolute immunity for all of your conduct. You are still able to be prosecuted, quote, under generally applicable laws for their official acts consistent with the separation of powers doctrine, end quote. So for example, we've had many cases over the years with respect to both legislators and judges, notwithstanding explicit constitutional or statutory immunity, analogous to the type that a president does have, which is not absolute, who nevertheless get prosecuted for taking bribes, for voting in a particular way. That's an ordinary garden variety criminal prosecution that I think any sane person in the country would want their legislators to be amenable to. That kind of prosecution, if you take a bribe, even for, for engaging in your actual constitutionally protected duty of office, which is to cast a vote. If you cast a vote, having been given $100,000 in cash, you should be able to be prosecuted. Simple proposition, no? You know, it seems to me you don't have to have gone to law school to understand this. This is all common sense. It's bedrock. It's foundational. And again, I'm struck by the fact that Trump has taken these arguments so far, and the courts have treated them with such seriousness. And although I don't think we'll see this happen, it seems to me that this opinion is so airtight that the Supreme Court could simply refuse to hear the case on certiorari. It's an issue of first impression. It's a former president. I think that they'll want to take a swing at it. 
But nonetheless, nothing here is difficult or controversial. In fact, in regards to the argument that you're just making about legislators and judges, this panel decision cites to a Supreme Court decision, Ex parte Virginia, talking about judges. And the Supreme Court said, We have never held that the performance of duties of judicial, legislative, or executive officers requires or contemplates the immunization of otherwise criminal deprivation of constitutional rights. On the contrary, the judicially fashioned doctrine of official immunity does not reach so far as to immunize criminal conduct prescribed by an act of Congress. And Jack Smith has indicted Trump under three separate statutes. So, you know, the court also wanders a little bit from judicial precedent and talking about Marbury and some other cases to address the question of public policy, right? Because Donald Trump and his team have made the argument that allowing this kind of criminal prosecution to go forward would have a chilling effect, would cause future presidents not to be able to act in the best interests of the country, not be able to discharge their duties and responsibilities as commander in chief, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The parade of horribles, which is what you want to present to a court if you have a losing argument. Exactly. Yeah, so so this court wanders into public policy and the question of that chilling effect. And it finds the arguments that the president is making or the former president is making to be without merit. They say, quote, we conclude that the interest in criminal accountability held by both the public and the executive branch outweighs the potential risks of chilling presidential action and permitting vexatious litigation, end quote. They also say, we find these interests compel the conclusion that former President Trump is not immune from prosecution under the indictment, end quote. So they keep saying that that bottom line again and again and again. And in different contexts, the court points out that allowing this kind of accountability and allowing this kind of prosecution to proceed, given the high bar and the high threshold of being able to prove beyond a reasonable doubt to a unanimous jury a set of allegations. So, you know, that has a regulatory effect on the, the ability of people to bring vexatious criminal litigation in the future that this is maybe a salutary thing, right? And it would cause people in a position of power to think twice. They say, quote, we cannot presume that a president will be unduly cowed by the prospect of post-presidency criminal liability any more than a juror would be influenced by the prospect of post-deliberation criminal liability or an executive aide would be quieted by the prospect of the disclosure of communications in a criminal prosecution If you imagine a person of reasonable integrity occupying a high office, up to and including the presidency of the United States, the prospect of potential criminal prosecution in extreme circumstances should be a caution to you, not a a vexatious trouble to discharging your duties. And that's the analysis that Judge Chutkin applied in the district court, where Trump had made this argument and she said, you know, it might not be a terrible thing for a sitting president when he's deciding whether or not to commit a crime to think, Maybe if I break the law, I'll get prosecuted. I think that gets picked up and carried forward in this section. And the other thing, by the way, is just to be clear, the former president of the United States is not arguing 100% absolute immunity in every circumstance in the history of Earth. They allow for one narrow exception for criminal prosecution, whether it's shooting someone on Fifth Avenue or whether it's directing SEAL Team 6 to assassinate your political rival. They do concede because they have really no choice that in the limited circumstance of a president engaging in some conduct for which that president is then impeached and then convicted in the Senate, that conviction in the Senate then permits an ordinary criminal prosecution thereafter. The problem with that concession is 
that concession, narrow as it is, means that a president is already subject, at least in some circumstances, to criminal prosecution. So the argument about the chilling effect exists even in the universe that Donald Trump's lawyers concede we're in. That's right. And, and the court focuses on that pretty specifically. You know, they call it an implicit concession and say that Trump has conceded there's no absolute bar to prosecuting assertedly official action. And once he opens up that hole in his argument, it's, it's really pretty much all over. And here's where the court puts a fine point on it, as we've been discussing, quote, instead of inhibiting the president's lawful discretionary action, the prospect of federal criminal liability might serve as a structural benefit to deter possible abuses of power and criminal behavior, end quote. I kind of think that's the money quote in the opinion. Yeah, I mean, I agree with that, and I agree with the principle behind it, right? Presidents are not kings, and, and the court starts out this opinion by talking about citizen Trump, who should be guided by the same principles that guide every other person in the United States under criminal law, this notion that we should be deterred from committing crimes that are clearly established by law. Game over. And then, as I mentioned already, they address the Trump argument that allowing this case to go forward will subject future presidents to, you know, an avalanche of politically motivated prosecutions as soon as they leave office. And I guess that, that argument has some surface appeal, but the court points out it's very, very difficult to bring a criminal case. There are only so many pending against Donald Trump because he engaged in behavior. You know, the, the minimum you can say about it is that he pushed the envelope. And the maximum, of course, is that he actually straightforwardly broke the law in multiple jurisdictions and across multiple statutes, state and federal. But they don't really buy the floodgates argument. Is that right? I think it's really worth underlining what a frivolous argument that is. For one thing, we have hundreds of years of history that says that that's not true, right? It's never happened before. Why should it start now? Thanks for listening. To hear the full episode, head to cafe.com slash insider and try out the membership for just $1 for one month. That's cafe.com slash insider. To the many of you who have chosen to join the insider community, thank you for supporting our work. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Prop G Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Prop G Pod wherever you get your podcasts.